You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all of the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators and this is The Food Code. Sugar alcohol. Oh, welcome to the food code. This is, I think, this was a request by someone, um, one of our clients, mm-hmm. and I love getting requests from people because it makes Liz and I like dive deeper into things. Because as much as you know, it may seem like we know, we are all knowing. <laughs> we we don't know everything about everything um and there's a lot of like little things that yeah uh you know we learned a good amount during research for this yeah and that's the thing is like we want to not just scratch the surface right like you can do a simple google search and you can find certain information but we want to look at like what does the research say like (laughs) what does the data say because there's obviously obviously always going to be two sides to every story, right? Like some mm-hmm. people are really against these things. Some people really support them. There's been a lot of... There's controversy. People that we follow. We get like very really angry. <laughs> very well-known doctors that we follow that have like been calling each other out on social media about mm-hmm. some sugar alcohols. It's pretty crazy. So anyways, um, today we want to talk a little bit about xanthan gum and guar gum. And then we're going to dive more specifically into different types of sugar alcohols mm-hmm. where you find these things and things that you need to know because these things are not necessarily regulated um, by the FDA. Yeah, you guys, we need to understand that the FDA... They aren't very like upstanding. They're, they they um they are a business like every other business out there. Um, and you know Liz and I are are open about this, and we are open about our feelings around like drugs and the intentions behind a lot of them. I know are well intentioned, but they turn into a financial thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so understanding that we cannot trust food and drug administration to have our health at the forefront because. They're getting paid somehow. They're getting paid. We they, listen. Healthy people don't make money in 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 healthcare. Okay, healthy people that don't go to doctors because they don't need to because they're healthy. Um, people that exercise and take care of their bodies and don't have any major issues. Like you aren't making those people money. So sick people make healthcare money. And I know that sounds horrible, but it is the reality of things a lot mm-hmm. of days. So um, we cannot trust the FDA to like be like, we need to list all of the risks of all of these things and every food ingredient that we include because we need to worry about people because people need to know. No, they don't care. They are going to dodge every regulation possible Mm. so that they can get things out into production. They can make money on them. They can mass produce them. Um, And so we need to understand that, especially if you have some type of a gut issue, if you have sensitivities to things, if you have allergies to things, if you have autoimmune conditions, Mm -hmm. like especially you. Um, So we want to talk a little bit about what these things are and who needs to be careful around them. Because to be honest, some of these things are totally safe, like totally totally fine, fine. can be beneficial even to help, um, you know, make a diet easier, make, you know, enjoying foods easier. Um, But 
if you have some things going on, then you need to be careful. Yeah, especially gut stuff, right? And that's what we're going to talk specifically about in this podcast. So let's dive into xanthan gum first. Um, If you don't know what xanthan gum is, it is a food additive that is often added to stabilize a final product. So think about like gluten-free goods, right? When they're removing the gluten, they've got to be able to keep those foods intact. Um, And so xanthan gum, specifically for gluten-free products, provides extra elasticity to the dough that would otherwise be missing. You'll often mm-hmm. see also with um, gluten-free products, there's going to be more fats in there generally yeah. as well. So is xanthan gum safe? Like, is it okay for me to eat regularly? Well, yes and no. So it kind of depends here because xanthan gum is actually a product of bacterial fermentation processes. And so this is where things kind of get tricky, especially if you have food sensitivities, food allergies, and you've got gut stuff going on mm-hmm. um, because it's produced when the bacterium xanthomonas campestris. Beck and I were asking each other, like, is that how we say it before? We're just you winging guys, it here. This Here's the thing. It doesn't matter doesn't how you matter. say it. It's, Xan- <laughs> it's produced when you take this bacterium and it's placed on a growth medium. <laughs> yes. But that includes sugars and other nutrients. Okay. And so the resulting compound here is then purified. It's dried out. It's turned into a powder and it's sold as a food thickener essentially. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in addition to being used in, you know, just the gluten-free products, it also shows up ingredients lists. Let's think like salad dressings, certain supplements and supplements and medications, actually ice cream, yogurt, pudding, and some sauces. So think of anything that is kind of, you know, this is being utilized as As a thickener. thickener. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Soups. A lot of times certain cheeses, believe Mm -hmm. it or not, Um, especially like not like a vegan cheese or like things like that aren't real cheese, um, breakfast cereals, kefir, um, mm-hmm. things that some like health food products. So it's not just in like, you know, processed junk food. Like it's used, like Liz was saying, in a lot of gluten-free products to help bind those things that gluten used to bind. Mm-hmm. So here's the, <clears throat> here's the problem that a lot of times this growth medium that it gets used with to help it ferment companies do not have to disclose what that growth medium is and they can include soy dairy wheat and corn okay so there's a possibility you could be having a gluten-free product that actually used wheat in the binding process of this fermentation and so here's where the problem lies right like if we don't have manufacturers of xanthan gum or guar gum and food products that contain it having to disclose this information for, you know, proprietary reasons or because they aren't entirely sure themselves what they used, like, believe it or not, um, it leaves you in the dark. And so if you are having issues with something that you're like, well, I have, you know, a stomach ache or I'm having, you know, it's for our client that recommended that wanted to know about this topic. She gets migraines triggered by certain things. Mm -hmm. Um, We think a big one I think is dairy. Um, But overall, you might be having reactions to a product that you think is safe because they're using this in a process leading up to an ingredient being included in the food. So that's where the problem with xanthan gum and guar gum kind of comes in. I think for her, she was trying to find like a dairy-free alternative, right? And so while this is technically like a gluten-free product, if she has other sensitivities to the dairy or the soy or wheat or corn, that's where her digestive issues are coming into play. And so the question becomes like, is it bad for you? Should you steer clear from it? Well, 
the evidence shows that it's not harmful. Um, however, it is again a potential trigger. And so if you consume this and you're not really sure what the culprit is of that you know, product that you consumed and maybe you're consuming this unknowingly, check the label and see, does it show xanthan gum on here, right? Um, if you don't have any gut health issues and you're not sensitive to you know, the top ones that we just mentioned, wheat, gluten, dairy, soy, then you're probably completely fine with this um, because studies have conducted, at least on animals, that there's not really any concerns using this product. Um, And so one of the things, though, that we can say is that when they're looking at the rats um, and the concentrations that they used um, for two years, the overall health remained largely unchanged. Like they didn't see any issues with like their survival rate, their growth rate, their organ weights, incidence of tumors or their blood markers changing. However, they did see the soft stools appearing more often. So again, it goes back to like, how does it make you feel? Obviously, hopefully you're not consuming all of these processed foods, like, (laughs) you know, each meal of your day. So you're getting it maybe in smaller doses. And I think that's completely fine. It's more so if you notice that you had, I was just talking with a client this morning, she's been having some bloating and gas and a little bit of loose stools and digestive issues. And I was like, well, you're on vacation. Let's talk about the foods that you haven't, you know, had generally. And she's like, I had an Atkins bar. And I'm like, 100%. It's probably one of the either fibers in it Mm -hmm. or the sugar alcohols that's causing this because of what we just talked about, that kind of cross-contamination or the way that it's fermented. Yeah. And that seems to be the biggest thing in studies is that it just presents people with looser stools. Because Mm -hmm. I think because the fermentation process is causing things to be pulling more water into the stools. So we talked about xanthan gum and guar gum. Like what is the big difference? So guar gum is another additive that's used to thicken and stabilize food. And there's some important differences. Um, If you're allergic to any substances commonly used to create xanthan gum, guar gum might be an alternative. Um, So guar gum is made from guar beans, which is kind of an India and Pakistan native. Um, It's a soluble fiber. And some animal studies have shown that it actually has the potential to reduce body weight and lower blood glucose. If you have a digestive system system situation, though, or a digestive condition like IBS, stuff like that, you may want to avoid guar gum because it's derived from a bean. Okay, so it can have distressing symptoms with people that have IBS, people that have SIBO or other gut issues just because beans and the... um, the lectins lectins i could not think of the word i was thinking of phyto something and i was like i couldn't come up with the word i'm really pregnant i'm definitely losing my words in my mind a lot (laughs) um but basically the lectins can be really hard to digest and they also can have like um an anti-nutrient effect Mm -hmm. for some people and so you just have to be careful if you are sensitive to beans um but like we were saying Overall, neither of them really seem to have major issues, um, only when consumed in very large amounts. Have they been shown to cause a disrupted gut microbiome, um, and like, which can obviously lead to other issues, but I think that is for people that are really just the types of people that are over-consuming processed foods, processed gluten-free products, lots of supplements, bars, shakes, stuff like that, that use these things. So like if you're the type that, you know, if, if it's your macros, but you're eating Halo Top and you're eating protein bars twice a day and you're, you're consuming a lot of these things that have these ingredients, then it could potentially cause a gut issue for those people. Um, it's kind of an it depends. Mm-hmm. So be aware this is why liz and i are big promoters of eating as whole foods of a diet as possible like unprocessed one ingredient meaning your apples don't have an ingredient list 
there's one ingredient in them. It's apples, okay? You don't want to be having these super long ingredient lists, um, but that's kind of the deal with guar gum and xanthan gum. We wanted to talk about sugar alcohols too mm-hmm. because they're a little bit different. Um, artificial sweeteners are different than binders, which are different than sugar alcohols. So xanthan gum and guar gum are more of thickeners. Um, they're thickening agents. Uh, sugar alcohols are a little bit different though. Yep. The good thing about sugar alcohols, though, for people with diabetes is they don't impact blood sugar the same way that artificial sweeteners do. Mm -hmm. So sugar alcohols, where can you find these things? Well, they're going to be in things like candy, gum, baked goods, too. Um, And they're basically going to be in most products that are labeled as like keto, sugar free, no sugar added or like the low carb. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about xylitol today because that's the most popular and well-researched. And the general takeaway way here is that you know this can apply to other sugar alcohols as well so think like erythritol sorbitol some of those other common ones but before we kind of talk about what exactly they are and any of the concerns around them i think it's just important to know as we were mentioning in the beginning like this is not really FDA regulated. Okay. So food manufacturers can voluntarily list the amount of sugar alcohols on the nutrition facts label. Okay. And they'll do this under total carbohydrates. Um, but they are required to list sugar alcohols on the nutrition label if it is sugar-free, no sugar added, or used to describe in the food. So sometimes you see it as a sugar, sometimes you don't. Um, But I think this is just where if you are someone who's struggling with blood sugar issues and you are someone who's struggling with like diabetes or type 2 diabetes, you need to be reading nutrition labels anyway. You need to be looking at the total grams of carbohydrates, um, even if it is labeled sugar-free or, you know, no sugar added. Um, because it's going to get into, you know, one of those two sections, either um, the sugar alcohols or in the carbohydrate section. Yeah, absolutely. So what exactly are sugar alcohols? So they're basically a low digestible carbohydrate. So this is a category that also includes fiber and resistant starches. They occur naturally in a a lot of fruits, actually. um, And they're also known as polyols. Here's the thing you may recognize as a FODMAP. Okay, so if anyone is like on a low FODMAP diet, sugar alcohols are something that you want to avoid. But unlike artificial sweeteners, sugar alcohols are not completely calorie free because we are able to digest them and we are able to absorb them to some extent. Um, The absorption rate definitely varies depending on what sugar alcohol it is. Xylitol is about 50% absorbed. Sorbitol is about 80% absorbed. And again, this varies on the person and the individual. So erythritol is the almost completely absorbed, but it is not digested. So it provides almost no calories. So there's a little bit of, I understand that there's a little bit of confusion there, um, but basically it depends on the sugar alcohol and it depends on the person for how much you're actually absorbing and digesting and calories in turn are affecting you. And so That's something that like, again, we can't just trust food labels and we can't just trust these things. We have to be careful about how much of these we're consuming. Um, But compared with artificial sweeteners, sugar alcohols have very few safety and toxicity studies. Um, They're generally accepted as safe though. So artificial sweeteners have way more studies around them. Human studies, animal studies, sugar alcohols are a little bit less though, mainly because guys, a lot of the studies that were done it seemed to show that there wasn't a lot of issue with consuming them. So they kind of didn't do a lot more studies. That's that's the biggest thing around like research is research. Once things are kind of considered like safe, there's not going to be a ton more research around it. It's usually when things are more controversial, which we've seen with artificial sweeteners, very controversial 
in terms of do people think that they're safe? Do people think that they cause weight gain, make weight gain or make weight loss easier? Like there's a lot of camps that we discussed in the beginning of these podcasts um, around like anger, I think even (laughs) to an extent, (laughs) very strong opinions about artificial sweeteners, but sugar alcohols. um, There was one long-term study, 35 participants consumed xylitol as their primary dietary sweetener for two years. No adverse effects other than GI distress were observed and GI symptoms dissipated after the first couple months. So it was more so like your body was getting acclimated and like kind of used to the sugar alcohols and then it seemed that it dissipated. Um, So the amount of xylitol consumed during this trial regularly exceeded 100 grams a day, often going over 200 grams a day, which is quite a bit. So Mm. it's unlikely that you're also going to get to this point. Yeah. Totally. So let's talk a little bit about the metabolic effects of sugar alcohols. Because if you've listened to the podcast for a while, you've heard us talk about blood sugar, keeping blood sugar stable, blood glucose levels, things like that. So sugar alcohols are a really popular choice, especially for individuals who are battling blood sugar dysregulation or type 2 diabetes, um, or trying to lose weight because of the reduced calorie content and the fact that they are low glycemic. And so they are not going to impact blood sugar levels um, the same way that other products will, including artificial sweeteners, okay? So sugar alcohols sugar alcohol causes no appreciable changes in blood sugar um, or insulin in humans. And sorbitol and xylitol have been found to raise blood glucose following consumption. Okay. So in diabetic rats, they took this study for five weeks of xylitol supplementation. They put it into um, some of their water and they reduced their weight. They reduced their blood glucose, their serum lipids, and increased glucose tolerance compared to the other rats in the control study. Two other rat studies also also found that xylitol supplemented rats gained less weight and fat mass compared with the control rats and also had improved glucose tolerance. Okay. So because the sweetness here does not really like predict a calorie value in sugar alcohols, one might expect that they would do the same in terms of like metabolic confusion that is seen with non-calorie artificial sweeteners. But unfortunately, there's not enough evidence to can kind of conclude that. So this is where we just say, you know, you've got to just look at the research and they find that these are pretty safe for individuals that are battling, you know, blood glucose levels and trying to keep, keep insulin in check. Sugar alcohols tend to be pretty safe. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing here is people need to understand artificial sweeteners are intense sweeteners. Mm -hmm. Sugar alcohols are not. So artificial sweeteners are oftentimes hundreds, hundreds of times sweeter than actual sugar. Sugar alcohols are not produced like this. In fact, many are actually less sweet than sugar. So sugar alcohols do, again, provide some calories. So there's not not as much of a discrepancy between the caloric load your body expects and the caloric load it actually gets. And that's, I think, where the issue comes in with artificial sweeteners, which we've maybe needed to do a podcast alone on that. But like things like sucralose, Splenda, Sweet and Low, you know, all of those OSE sweeteners, um, they have the problem of they are so unbelievably sweet that your body's expecting those Mm -hmm. calories, which is where the discrepancy comes in in research around some people do seem to have an insulin-like response or a blood sugar spike from artificial sweeteners, even though there's no calories. So there's still a detriment. Some research does show that. Some does not. And so there's kind of the controversy there. But that's the difference between those and sugar alcohols. The sugar alcohols are actually less sweet than sugar in a lot of cases. So that's why, and again, they have a caloric load to them. so there's not as much confusion with the body. Um, So again, the last thing we need to consider is digestive health. Um, And like we said, 
Although they seem to be safe and actually somewhat therapeutic, um, they're also notorious for causing digestive distress because they are FODMAPs. FODMAPs are largely indigestible. Indigestible. They can cause diarrhea by pulling excess water into the large intestine, and anyone that has like kind of known digestive issues and you've dealt with them for a long time, you know that things that are high in fiber can sometimes be harder for your body to digest, even though they're quote unquote healthy, you know, even though the fiber is healthy. um, If your gut isn't healthy, it doesn't feel very healthy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think this is because of the way that these sugar alcohols are fermented in the gut, like in the gut bacteria, when you consume them, they're fermented. And that is what can cause the gas and the bloating. Um, And just a note here that sugar alcohols can also decrease fat absorption from other foods. So this might be something for you to consider that you might need to increase your healthy intake of omega-3s or kind of separate, you know, if you're doing a meal that has or a snack that has some of these sugar alcohols in it, Like maybe keep your higher fat foods away from that meal Mm -hmm. so that you can actually get the benefit from those foods and from that fat. Um, But there is a lot of evidence that indicates that people can adapt the regular sugar alcohol consumption um, and the adverse GI impacts will kind of fade after a couple of months. So essentially you kind of get used to it, right? And your body learns how to tolerate this more and more. I think it's the same way as, you know, everybody can all agree. Like if you ate potato chips for a period of time and then you removed them, you're probably going to feel better. Like if everything Mm -hmm. else was controlled and then you brought them back in, you might notice we see this with clients all the time after having either fried foods or just foods that are high in polyunsaturated fats, they don't feel as good because they get that inflammatory, you know, um, response in the body that kicks on and they're like, man, my energy is tanked or I just feel a little bit more bloated, feel a little bit more water retention. So this is just something for you to be mindful of in small doses. Don't think it's a problem at all. Um, We just have to, you know, make sure that again, everything that we're choosing to put into our body is something that generally makes us feel good. Um, But as we mentioned, like erythritol is probably the best tolerated of all of these. And the human trials have shown that, um, that throughout the day, people can tolerate up to one gram or one kilogram, uh, sorry, one gram per kilogram of body weight without having GI distress. So again, you'd have to be consuming a large amount of erythritol in order to experience this GI distress. Yeah. And the xylitol and sorbitol is lower, which the studies seem to show it, it only tolerates about 30 grams of them per day without a problem. Um, but significant, significant adaptation was kind of necessary to increase the xylitol content in the diet. So at the end of the day, we need to understand that like Overall, sugar alcohols definitely appear to be safer um, than artificial sweeteners with several potential like helpful effects. Um, the metabolic and the weight loss benefits of sugar alpha alcohols have not been studies, uh, studied as extensively. Um, so do not think that we're saying like sugar alcohols help you lose weight. Like that has not been proven in research. Um, it just seems to show that the sugar alcohols tend to be a better situation for the body as a whole than artificial sweeteners. And we would recommend sugar alcohols over artificial sweeteners if you need a low calorie sweetener. Although we wouldn't recommend anyone consume like huge amounts of them. Um, because again, there is some GI stress that can happen with these. And again, if you have known digestive issues, if you have known issues with like sensitivities to certain foods or intolerance to certain foods, just be careful with these because they are something that is created in a lab um, that is added to food. And so 
we have to understand that like the body cannot always process these things the same that it will process real food. So we wanted to just kind of cover, um, you know, where these are seen and what the impacts on the body are and essentially, you know, what the bottom line research seems to say about them um, in terms of, are they safe? How does your body respond to them? Uh, Because I think that they're in a lot of foods that people don't realize. Yeah. So this is where I think you have to start doing the research and reading the labels on food products that you're going to purchase. Because we've talked about this before, many of the health foods out there, while it shows you on the front, like this beautiful label, like still to this day, one of my pet peeves is the kind protein bars. Like there's, minimal protein compared to calories, carbs, and fat in that to be labeled a protein bar. Like we have recommendations, 10 grams of protein per 100 calories to be considered a protein bar. Yet so many people are led astray because they see this marketing and advertising for products that are not actually what we would consider a protein bar. And then the same thing comes in play when you're seeing, okay, sugar-free, no sugar added. Like you don't know what is being putting into those products. So start reading your labels. And then again, start paying attention to how do you feel after you consume these foods? Like getting bloated after having, you know, a scoop of Halo Top ice cream, that's not normal. Or having gas that reeks after, you know, some of these products, like that's not normal. And that's a sign that you need to steer clear from it. In general, if you're healthy, you have no gut issues, then totally fine and definitely agree with Becca. We would recommend this over artificial sweeteners. Um, Me personally, if I'm sweetening something at home, I try to use stevia in the raw. I try Mm -hmm. to use... um, monk fruit as well. Monk fruit, they have the granulated ones that looks um, and feels like sugar, but that's a more natural sweetener. So you could gravitate to those um, as well as just better alternatives. If you are cooking at home and you need something, you know, let's say to sweeten a baked good that you're making for your family. So yeah, absolutely. So I hope that this was helpful. Um, Definitely what we always preach is just awareness and information. You know, you guys make your own decisions. You guys have your own bodies that you are in control of. Um, we just want to give the information that hopefully is helpful for you to make the best decisions for yourself um, so that you can feel your best. So hopefully this was helpful. If you have any requests on other things you'd like us to cover, please shoot them our way. You can send them to info at fitmomlife.com. You can message Liz or I on Instagram or Facebook. Um, And we always love getting ideas from the audience. Yep. Have a great day. We'll talk to you on Friday. Thank you all so much for being here. If you've enjoyed this podcast, the best thing that you could do for us as a gift to us would be to take a screenshot and share it on Instagram, tag us, share it on Facebook, whatever platform that you listen, or just tell a friend, invite a friend to listen to this podcast. Um, The more that you can kind of share with word of mouth, the more people that we can touch throughout the world. Five-star reading and review on iTunes as this helps us grow and reach others. So if you have any questions, feel free to shoot us a DM or an email and we will talk to you soon. Have a great day.